Coming up on the Inside Indiana Business Television podcast, Indiana is coming off a huge weekend with the Global Economic Summit and the Indy 500. As the spotlight shines on the racing world, we highlight women in motorsports and talk to the voice of the Indy 500. A former Colts quarterback continues to help first responders. Indiana continues the effort to attract remote workers. And we talk Indiana business and energy with our partners at the IBJ. Welcome to the Inside Indiana Business Television Podcast. I'm Andy Ober. Many of the world's best and brightest business minds merged on race weekend in Indianapolis, where the name of the game is technology, innovation, and opportunity. Ahead of the Global Economic Summit, Governor Eric Holcomb spoke with Inside Indiana Business host Gary Dick about what the event can achieve. Well, you've been a busy guy and your team uh, very busy. Uh, this week, <clears throat> I think historic in terms of size of investment. Let's start, uh, first of all, with the more recent, the Eli Lilly and Company investment. Yeah. Uh, Two plus billion dollars, Innovation Park in Lebanon, Boone County, uh, manufacturing facilities, high wage jobs. Your reaction to that investment? And as you mentioned, great careers, careers of the future, um, to have two companies with such long history, Stellantis, mm -hmm. decades in the making, they're part of the very fabric of Howard County. And to be transitioning from one mode to another and going into the battery space and then to bring on an iconic brand like Samsung SDI, mm -hmm. uh, a player into our state that uh, is now creating the first in the, the joint venture in America, mm -hmm. this is nothing but good news. And then, you know, Colonel Eli Lilly's legacy, um, Dave Ricks and the whole team Lilly is living up to it and surpassing it. It's never been stronger. And you don't have to look at the stock price to look at that. You can yeah. look at what they're doing around the world. And great news yeah. is they're going to be doing it, making it right here in Indiana. Manufacturing research to be taking pl yeah. taking place there. There's a lot of talk about research triangle, Sil Silicon Valley, yeah. the, the uh, connection between Purdue, I-65 down to, to Lebanon and Boone County, Indianapolis, the airport. In your view, what can this be? part of in terms of the bigger picture. The good news for Indiana is, and I, I've, we've talked about this before, but the ready grant proposals that regionalized our state into 17 different regions. But I almost see these lightning bolts all over the state of Indiana of connectivity. Mm -hmm. And so you're tapping into a research institution like Purdue or Notre Dame or mm -hmm. IU. The good news, we've got them spread out. We've mm -hmm. got these you know, private universities and colleges, um, Ivy Tech Community College, mm -hmm. Vincennes University. So they're really close. And they're key components to making sure we can skill up all this new business. And it, as you say, is at an unprecedented level mm -hmm. coming into the state of Indiana. And I feel like we don't just have traction. We've got serious momentum going mm -hmm. forward. The key will continue to be to make sure we've got the workforce skilled up to mm -hmm. fill these careers because yeah. success attracts success. And as you can tell by the, the attendees here already, they love what they see. Yeah, it, 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 Kokomo, you know, traditional old line automa uh, automotive town, manufacturing uh, town. This new investment obviously is in the future in terms of electric vehicles. Do you sense the transformation basically for the manufacturing economy and in particular in Kokomo? Yeah, and we have to be in lockstep with that transition. And this is kind of putting our flag in the ground that Indiana is not just an attractive place to grow, but to grow the kind of jobs that are going to be around for generations. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge statement by Stellantis and Samsung SDI to come to Indiana. Fierce competition. Mm -hmm. And we have to understand who our competition is. Um, 
and, and have packages that we can present that are not just competitive, but that can win the day. And, and I can tell you, I'm very bullish on the second half of the year. Well, let's talk about that quickly. We're almost out of time. But in terms of the overall investment, capital investment in Indiana this year to date uh, has already surpassed surpassed last year. Yeah. And, and I have a little context. I first came uh, into the state house working for one of my predecessors uh, when I had a little less gray hair, but uh, it, he rightfully created this public private partnership, if you will, this IEDC and uh, with a board, the governor chairing that board in the 12 years before I came into office, mm -hmm. two of those years, we did over 5 billion in CapEx, two of those years since 2005, uh, to 2016. Mm -hmm. And we've done 5 billion over that for every year I've been in office. And this year we did it in five months. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're, we're, we were over 10 billion before the two big announcements, by the way, we did 340 million in Fort Wayne on Monday. Mm -hmm. We'll have another announcement, um, here soon, uh, in, in the racing industry, McLaren, who will invest another $25 million in the Boone County mm -hmm. area as well, uh, Whitestown. Mm -hmm. And um, this is very exciting to have that kind of expertise where that team will come and skill up and have access to the latest technology, training, practice their pit stops. This is consolidating our racing prowess from a global perspective, and it's all, it's all draining right down to us. Big week for Indiana economic development. Big week to showcase the state as well at the Global Summit. Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb, as always, thanks for joining us. Happiest governor in America. The Global Economic Summit aims to benefit the state and its companies. Columbus-based Cummins Chairman and CEO Tom Leinbarger came on the show to talk about key takeaways. Cummins, obviously a very global company. Your, your first impressions, I guess, of this first ever Global Economic Summit. Well, since COVID began, I've stopped taking for granted the fact that you get together with Right. People and, yeah. and, and connect and, and actually you know, people who have the goodwill of the state and the economy in their minds. It's really that's a remarkable yeah. uh, thing these days. And I'm really pleased to be here. I also give the governor and and the Indiana Economic Development Corporation a lot of credit for trying to find things to bring us together. It's a tough time. You know, there's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of things dividing us. But making the state better, developing the state is one thing we can all agree on. And I think they've done a great job of bringing in people from all over to create more opportunities for people in Indiana. Governor Holcomb, Secretary of Commerce, Brad Chambers and others have taken a number of global economic development trips. Uh, this an opportunity to bring those folks from around the globe uh, here. As you think about Indiana's position on a global stage, how would you assess it? You, you travel the world uh, uh, for Cummins. How would you assess where Indiana's position? I think Indiana fights above its weight. Like we, we are doing better than our size yeah. and we have a lot of opportunity left to go. Yeah. I think by investing more in our education of our, of our students, investing more in our environment so that we can attract and retain mm -hmm. the most talented people, we have more opportunity. But already, I think we've got kind of all sectors of the economy working on trying to create these opportunities. That's what I was saying. Like the governor continually reaches out and says, hey, can you help me bring more companies in? I think in a lot of states, they wouldn't ask my opinion about how to bring more companies yeah. in and they would and they wouldn't or they wouldn't involve the nonprofits. They wouldn't get everybody in the game. And this state does a really good job of fighting yeah. above its weight by getting everybody involved and creating opportunities. A couple of big economic development announcements this week. Eli Lilly and company here in central Indiana, Stellantis and Samsung SDI with a huge investment, two and a half billion dollars in Kokomo electric vehicle uh, battery production. 
to have an investment like that in the state, obviously Cummins is very much into the electrification game. Just to have that kind of investment in, in, in Indiana, does that help? Does that uh, make a statement of sorts? You bet it does. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's terrific. Both those are great companies, Eli Lilly and mm-hmm. Stellantis, long-term investors in the state, uh, cutting edge of their industries, investing in the things that matter for the future. Yeah. And I, I know if, if I was in Indi- you know, thinking of looking at Indiana and say, I'd be really encouraged by that. Mm-hmm. As a, as yeah. of course, as a CEO here, I'm very encouraged. And I think everybody should be. We have a lot of investments like that left to make. Batteries, electrification, mm-hmm. uh, bio, uh, biological drugs. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of these technologies which are advancing quickly. And we need to make sure that we're on the cutting edge of these things. Because if we're not, we're falling behind. Yeah. If we're not moving forward, we're actually falling yeah. back. There's no status quo. And, and to see those kind of investments by companies, that it's very encouraging. Only have 20 seconds, Tom, but the state of uh, the company, the economy, I know supply chain continues to be a, a drag, right? It, it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's an understatement of the world. No, we, we are fighting hard every day to get the supply chain working. What I would say is demand's good. I mean, mm-hmm. business is good. If we can get out the door, we yeah. can sell it. So we're, we're all scrambling hard to meet customer demand. Very good. Tom Leinbarger, CEO of Cambridge. Thanks. Thanks right, very thank much. You, yeah. All right. The fastest field in Indy 500 history took the green flag at this weekend's Indy 500. Ahead of the race, Indianapolis Motor Speedway president Doug Bowl spoke with us about ticket sales, a post-pandemic crowd, and what it all looked like ahead of the 106th running of the greatest spectacle in racing. Always a great weekend uh, for Indianapolis and for Indiana. And, and this especially is uh, kind of a coming home, if you will. Uh, back home again means a lot more this time around because for the first time in three years, full attendance at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Yeah, it's uh, we're pretty excited about it. It has been three years, which is hard to believe that 2019 was the last time you had a normal Indianapolis 500. 2020 didn't get to have anybody. Last year, 135,000 people in the grandstands. This year will be the largest attended Indianapolis 500 in the last 20 plus years with the exception of the 100th running. And really the only difference in attendance between this year and 2016 is going to be the infield. We're going to be virtually sold out in the grandstands. The infield just won't be quite as many folks in the infield as we had in 2016, but it's going to feel like an Indy 500. If you've been around for a long time, like I have, it's going to feel like the Indy 500s we remember. And that's great news uh, indeed. (laughs) Doug, what do you attribute that to? Because this is the fastest field in the history of the Indianapolis 500. Uh, There seems to be, in my opinion, a big... um, continued big buzz around IndyCar racing. Uh, what do you attribute the, uh, the really the, the big crowds to? Well, I, I think for, for us, it's a, it's a lot of factors. The, the series is so competitive uh, in yeah. terms of drivers, the NTT, IndyCar series are competitive. Having people like Romain Grosjean, who ran an F1 for so long, and Jimmy Johnson, a NASCAR seven-time champion, come over. Elio Castroneves winning a fourth 500 last year was big. I think So there's a lot of things around it that, that make it exciting. I also think as Hoosiers – we're ready to get out. We're ready to do what we yeah. do every year and celebrate being a Hoosier, celebrate the fact that summer is just around the corner and celebrate those men and women who serve on Memorial Day weekend. So that is really, I think, a lot of it that it's just it's time. It's time to come back home again and do it at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And this is the first time since Roger Penske uh, uh, bought the Indianapolis uh, mm-hmm. Motor Speedway that it's full attendance. So uh, and I know there have been a number of changes that uh, that he and uh, you and others have implemented at the Speedway. If there are two or three things that uh, fans might want to look for when they come out to the track, uh, new things, what might they be? Well, first of all, you're right. Roger bought the Speedway. I had no idea that we were going to get into this global pandemic. And then... Right. 
he has continued to allow us to invest because he knew that at some point in time, people could come back. So our fans, if they haven't been here and 60% of them that walk through the gates for this year's Indy 500 will not have been here yet. The new video boards, the way uh, the backside of the grandstands has opened up and wider to help people go north and south in the venue. The restrooms have been worked on. And then really in this past year, we've done a lot of deferred maintenance. So a lot of steel work. I've got a brand new uh, in the infield uh, care centers can been, can, has been completely redone. So they're going to see an awful lot. The biggest thing they're going to notice is just the attention to detail. Roger has really helped us make the place look younger. Hey, uh, we've got to ask you about the state of IndyCar racing. The NBC contract, which has now been in place for a while, there seems to be, again, a lot more eyeballs, a lot more attention and excitement around IndyCar racing. The Indy 500, but the series uh, in general. Agree with that assessment? Yeah, NBC has been a fantastic partner. Obviously, we were with ABC for 50 plus years here for the Indy 500 and transitioned to NBC and they couldn't uh, they couldn't be a better partner. They are fantastic. They use their other high profile events to promote the Indianapolis 500, uh, the, you know, starting in May, the Kentucky Derby just this week, Jimmy Johnson being on Jimmy Fallon. Uh, those are the kind of things that a great partner does. And then the, the talent that they bring to the broadcast. So having Dale Earnhardt Jr. and, and Mike Tirico and just top names come and help broadcast yeah. the event may a difference well no doubt this uh, the biggest weekend each and every year especially this year i think the indianapolis 500 doug bulls the president and ims doug thanks for joining us taking time out of this busy weekend and uh good luck with the race thank you so much women continue to make their mark in the fast lane reporter mary rachel redmond has the story on how women are putting the pedal to the metal in motorsports for decades in indianapolis most race teams in the pits looked like this. In fact, female reporters like myself weren't actually allowed down into the pits until 1971, and that went for most women who, unless they were part of the pre-race ceremonies, were relegated to the grandstands. In 1974, eyebrows raised when Betty Rutherford, wife of three-time Indy winner Johnny Rutherford, kept score of the race from her husband's pit, unknowingly making history as the first woman to be in the pits during the race. Betty, how about you? Is the thrill still there? It's the same every time. It never gets old. Then along came Janet Guthrie in 77, and the floodgates ever so slowly began to open for women in racing. Now, nearly 45 years later, one of the most recognized names in all of racing is teamed up with PNC Bank to promote women in motorsports. They're going to have a, an immersive experience. I mean, and they're having a summer with, you know, the most winningest team, you know, so, so they're getting great networks, they're getting great exposure, they're great, you know, gaining a huge understanding about what it means. But interestingly enough, they're also understanding what are the barriers for others. And they are passionate around breaking down those barriers so that other women can, you know, join motorsports and join, and quite frankly, other um, industries that maybe are a little bit more male dominated. Twenty-year-old Jennifer Short just finished up her sophomore year at Purdue. She tells me this internship is the opportunity of a lifetime. I can't even begin to express my just excitement to be working here, and especially on the PNC car. Like, and the fact that they sponsored this program is absolutely insane to me. They're gonna be literally working elbow to elbow with the engineers, um, obviously with the owners, with um, the drivers. And when what's fascinating is that the role of women in motorsports is not just about driving, although quite frankly, they can be drivers. As we were talking, you know, a, a car doesn't... It 
you know, care whether what gender you are. All the guys that are here are really great and they've all been so welcoming and especially like the guys on the crew, like I stand around and just bug them constantly. Road course car that they're rebuilding for Detroit. Okay. And Detroit's next weekend and then this one is the one that's gonna run at the 500 on Sunday. So, so is that the, the record breaker? Yes, that one. I think women in motorsports is important because we've got a different view. We look at things in a different light than men do, and especially now that we're breaking into the field, they've shown that you know teams that have women on them are the first to develop new ideas. To, to have more women in in the paddock, um, they've got to be get, we've got to put so it's like a funnel. This is the, the, the top of the sport. We're going to put, there's going to be more women getting more interested in the early stages of the sport so that they come through to this, the elite level as it is here. And um, we're very fortunate that, um, you know, we now we've got, you know, the, again, the makeup of our team looks different because we've got the best people. It doesn't matter, you know, the, the, the gender, the color, any of those things. And um, it's the way it should be. Remember, you can catch Inside Indiana Business Television on stations throughout the state every weekend. Head to InsideIndianaBusiness.com to check listings. Every year, the Indy 500 is one of the most fascinating broadcasts you can experience. Mark Jaynes, the radio voice of the 500, joined Bill Benner on Inside Indiana Sports to talk about this year's race. It has to be a wonderful uh, occasion for you personally to have the honor of being the voice of the Indianapolis 500 as you've uh, been since 2016. I used to make these up, Bill, on my mom and dad's living room floor in Monrovia, Indiana, when I was uh, a fifth and sixth grade student at Hall Elementary. And so, uh, you know, it's been a it's been a crazy ride for sure. Uh, a lot of peaks and a a lot of valleys, but uh, this is a peak for sure. And I'm honored and privileged to serve as the anchor for the seventh time. And as you mentioned, started with this network in 1996. I, I said after the first year, I thought they were happy. But I said, if they don't ask me back, I'll have done it one more time than a lot of folks get to. So I guess my friend for 25 years, I'm playing without money, as they say. So we love it. Well, we're coming out of qualifying, and we have the fastest field in Indianapolis 500 history, led by Scott Dixon, who set the record for a uh, qualifying uh, attempt, uh, more than 234 miles an hour. Uh, that alone sets this race apart as we await the green flag in your call. Yeah, I mean, the fastest field uh, from uh, first through 32nd. Uh, Stefan Wilson, the 33rd starter because of engine issues, didn't get to uh, a post at time. But, uh, no, it's impressive what they've done for sure. And uh, I think it shows the uh, the energy and the work that is put in by these teams and these drivers and certainly the engineers to, you know, tweak the setups and make these cars go faster and faster and faster. I think all in all, uh, given the conditions and how uncertain they were over the course of the weekend. I, I think that adds to the abilities of the people who call the shots and how to set these cars up. I also think they benefited from, you know, a, a couple of days of solid testing in late April. And then, you know, they lost only one day to weather of the, the four days of, of, of six hour practice sessions that they had scheduled uh, leading up to uh, the Indianapolis 500 qualified weekend. So a lot of things came together, I think, to allow these teams to put down some incredible speeds. Well, Mark, just like we have race teams, we have the incredible uh, uh, radio team. Uh, you have 10 on-air people, uh, behind-the-seeds folks. Uh, what's it like? I mean, I assume you're kind of the captain or the quarterback of that team. But to coordinate 
the 200 laps, all the things that come up to it, then the green flag, the checkered flag. I mean, it has to be an, an enormous task, but one that you look forward to uh, every year. Well, I, I'm very fortunate, Bill, because over the years I've, I've had the opportunity as an anchor to be influenced by Paul Page and my dear friend Bob Jenkins, who we tragically lost over the last year, and and, and Mike King and, and, and even Doug Rice from the Performance Racing Network, who anchors our coverage when NASCAR comes to town. And so, you know, all of those guys were, were big influences on me and the late Gary Lee, a well-respected motorsports broadcaster. And, uh, you know, I had about 19 years of AAA, if you will, uh, you know, some, some of these supporting events like uh, Indy Lights and, and MotoGP. And so, you know, I was able to kind of hone my craft as an anchor to put me in a pretty good position when the time came. But I think as much as anything, um, I'm just surrounded by incredibly talented people, um, guys that are, um, you know, they, they see this like I do as a, as a dream come true. And they were fans of this event and fans of this network. And, and they don't take their responsibilities lightly, and neither do I. And um, we just uh, find a way to make it all work. Many of us travel throughout the course of the year with the series. Many of us have worked together for, you know, over a decade now. And in the case of Kristen Airy, I've been with him for two decades on the radio network. And so, as you well know, uh, when you have that kind of camaraderie and consistency and mutual respect for one another, it can result in a pretty good product. And, and it's just my job to put them in the position to put their incredible talents on display and let them do what they do. And quite frankly, they all make my job much, much easier. And they do something that's not easy to do, Bill. They make me sound and look good. And I'm eternally grateful to them for that. For sure. Hey, Mark, we got about 30 seconds. Quickly, uh, we've talked a lot about this will be the first full house we've had since the pandemic. Uh, what I mean, the, the drivers, everybody's looking forward to this. Uh, but what will this mean for, 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 for the radio guys? Well, for us, uh, we're thrilled to death for the fans. And I know a lot of folks like you will be there with headsets on listening to us on the radio network. But, uh, you know, we were happy to be able to paint the picture for those that couldn't be there the last couple of years. And I think more than anything, we're just thrilled to death to look out the window of our broadcast booth and see that place full as it should be and all will be right with the world. And uh, we, we hope we never have to endure what we endured the last couple of years again. But uh, we're thrilled for the drivers. We're thrilled for ourselves to be able to experience the magnitude of the end with all of those people there. But we're certainly first and foremost thrilled for the fans that can come back. Well, Mark, we certainly appreciate you coming on the program. We look, I've been in the Southwest turn uh, in the Southwest Vista with my 11-year-old grandson. We will have the headsets on listening to your call. Can't wait. Thanks for being on the program. Former Indianapolis Colts quarterback Jim Sorge continues his post-football career by helping first responders. He's the co-founder of Pro Team Tactical and talked about the company and its future plans with Kylie Valletta in the business of Elf. So let's talk first, a little refresher. Mm -hmm. This um, service that you were founded on focused more on the physical side of things. Give us just a snapshot of that service and tell us a little bit about the success you've been seeing. Yeah, it, it's grown exponentially in the last uh, three and a half, four years. Um, we've done a really good job of, of providing that better care to public safety and first responders. 
you know, they're very much like athletes. And as former athletes, we know the type of care it takes to keep them on duty, get them back to duty as quickly as possible. So what we were able to do was take that model, that athletic model, and bring it to public safety. So we, we get them from their line of duty injuries, their nine line of duty injuries, and we rehab them just like professional athletes. We rehab the whole body, and uh, we give them that better care, that specialized care that, that public safety needs. Because they're, they're athletes, they, they, they have the high demand, high stress jobs, physically demanding jobs. Jobs, um, and they need to be confident that they can do those jobs if, if when they are coming back from an injury. So let's talk about this new mental health service that you have. It's called Shield already. Uh, the Fishers Police Department, the Noblesville Police Department have signed on. Explain a little bit about what it is. Well, you know, we feel like the physical affects the mental, the mental affects the physical. And, and the men and women of, of public safety, the first responders, they're so used to running into danger while we're, we're all running away. And their exposure to trauma is so significant throughout their careers, it's almost like that it's not a matter of if they're going to suffer from a mental health issue or behavioral health issue, it's a matter of when. So uh, the problem up until this point is it's, it's been very reactive in dealing with these issues. Um, you don't know a problem persists until bam, it hits, and then you got to take care of, of the issue. And sometimes it's a career-ending issue mm -hmm. and, and a life-ending issue at, at times. Um, so what we wanted to do was be, build a platform, a web-based, app-based platform, where they can get on and kind of self-appraise where they're at. Um, we feel like if they can do that over the course of the career, throughout the year, they can kind of empty that bucket along the way, and therefore it never gets so full that it overflows. Um, so, you know, we self-appraise anxiety, depression, PTSD, substance abuse, stress, and sleep, because we feel like those are the areas that men and women of public safety are going to have a problem with over the course of their career. Just seeing what they see, and if we can self-appraise them, give them a snapshot of where they're at, and then give them those resources on the platform to reach out anonymously um, to, to kind of talk to somebody or deal with that, then hopefully we can stop some of these things and get proactive in their approach instead of reactive. And these are evidence-based questionnaires, so there really is a lot of science uh, behind this. And I like how the data is also de-identified and yes, the leaders of the department can kind of get a big picture of how their department is doing as a whole. Right? Yes, we want to help the individual, but we also want to help the department and show them where their department is at. So the member gets their own login. Nobody sees their information or their individual scores. But from the departmental side of things, we can give them the whole aggregate data of their department. And we can give it in different quarters of the year, different times of the year, different holidays um, to really show, hey, how much of my department, what percentage is dealing with stress? dealing with depression, maybe a substance abuse issue, um, and is there a proactive way we can work with the department on getting information out to the members to, to mitigate that or, or um, help with that along the way. So we feel like it's not only uh, important to help the member, it, it, that's the most important part, but let's help the department really kind of identify how their department is doing. Exactly. I, I was reading um, that more than a third of uh, first responders self-report struggling with substance abuse. So you mentioned substance abuse uh, is an issue. I do want to talk about, you've expanded your footprint a little bit. You've been mostly in central Indiana, all in central Indiana, and now you have a new location in Maryville, yes, uh, very far north. Uh, tell us why you chose that area. Very excited about our Maryville location. 
location. Um, it's a flex space, so it's got rehab, but it also has warehouse space where we can do some job specific activities. Um, growth has been exponential. IMPD has their facility, IFD has their facility. We got a facility at local 416 Union Hall in downtown on Mass Ave, up in Westfield at Grand Park. But we, how can we expand our reach into a population that has an enormous amount of a public safety community? Um, and Merrillville was kind of that location. It was a place where we could put a location and not have these men and women have to drive so far to get this specialized care. So very excited about that location. It, it's kind of open right now, softly. Okay. Um, and then we got our uh, open house on June 9th and then hopefully we'll see, start to see uh, the first responders come through there and, and get this care for the for the rehab. Exactly. Well, we are out of time, but I do want to mention you launched Shield, the mental health product at the FDIC conference. Yes, so congratulations Thank on the you. new product and keep us posted. Thank you very much. Working at home, at least part time, seems to be here to stay, and it's creating a new dynamic in the workforce that propels the race to attract and retain talent to a whole new level. Indianapolis-based Make My Move is looking to help. CEO Mike Rutz joined us in our Ion Education segment. This remote worker phenomenon issue, if you will, it really is spreading, obviously not just here in Indiana, but all over all over the country. Give us kind of the, 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 uh, the thumbnail sketch of the sure. remote worker situation. Well, the size of the market exploded due to the pandemic, obviously. Right. Uh, we went from 5 million to over 60 million in wow. a matter of weeks. Yeah. Uh, we think 40 million are gonna stay uh, full-time remote. And a study was just released a couple months ago that said around 19 million of them plan on moving in the next three years. Mm -hmm. um, so we see a great opportunity for the state to be able to recruit these folks. Make My Move launched in December of 2020. Uh, Bill mm -hmm. Osterley, uh, yeah. the uh, celebrated entrepreneur, really passionate about Indiana. G give us the, uh, the model, if you will, for Make My Move. Sure, so we work with communities to effectively be able to market themselves. Mm -hmm help them understand what the magic in their community is and why people would wanna work there. Mm -hmm. And then we deliver that marketing message to a targeted audience of people, remote workers, mm -hmm. who can basically take their job wherever they want. They're geographic free agents, they're chasing yeah. cost of living, they're chasing community. And Indiana is a great place for them to come live. And multiple communities in Indiana are, are participating and offering a variety of, of incentives, yeah. right? Yeah, we've got some good ones. I mean, <laughs> my favorite is Greensburg, Indiana, yeah. which offers grandparents on demand. Greensburg, a town of <laughs> Uh, 13,000 people had 2,000 yeah. applications. Wow. I'm um, in West Lafayette, Bloomington, a, a variety of different towns, all shapes and sizes. All right, you've got a new program yeah. that's getting a lot of attention the Indiana Remote Start fellowship program sure so you know bill uh co-founded the or fellowship right. and this is structured loosely on that same idea um that you mentioned 37 percent of college graduates took a remote job that is a staggering number yeah that's it, it, you equate that to indiana it's over ten thousand students wow. right so we see it as an opportunity to retain students that are graduating from indiana colleges and universities but also to recruit from out-of-state colleges and universities by offering them a differentiated experience than they would otherwise have living in another state as a new remote worker. So th this is basically networking and other opportunities, mm -hmm. right, that you would typically get in a, an in-person environment you're offering in the ro remote environment. Absolutely. You know, uh, employers are still trying to figure this out. We have very low confidence that the majority of employers know how to onboard early career folks in a remote setting and provide them with the career development, the networking opportunities, the mentoring that yeah. you need in an early career. It's hard enough as it is, even when you're working in an office with folks, yeah. you know, and so we want to be able to provide that to these students or these early career. Yeah, workers. Talk about the early reaction to this fellowship. And is this unique? 
around the country. Yeah, it's the first one of its kind in the wow. country. Um, we want to make Indiana the leader in remote worker and uh, remote worker yeah. recruiting. You know, so we got we have 13 communities already that have programming in place that are good landing spots for these folks. Again, they're all different shapes and sizes. They're rural, they're urban, yeah. they're suburban, there's college towns. Um, so we have a great head start to be able to uh, land these new uh, career uh, career uh, workers. You and I were talking uh, before we started here off camera, and you talk about this this trend or the numbers that seem to point to to, to, to workers leaving urban areas and, and, and going to more uh, suburban and rural areas and the remote workforce is a big driver. Remote work is driving a tremendous yeah. amount of this. I love to use the term geographic free agents, yeah. right? They have new freedoms and we know just from surveying and polling and studies that they're chasing affordability, which Indiana has. They're chasing community, which mm -hmm. Indiana has. Um, and right now is the time we wanna play offense as a state. Mike Retz is the CEO at Make My Move, uh, a new program, a fellowship offering some unique opportunities for remote workers. Mike, thanks for joining us. Uh, tell Bill Osterley we said hi Yeah, as well. we'll do that. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Gary. All right. Our partners at the IBJ are out with their annual innovation issue, this time focused on energy, looking at everything from solar energy to electric vehicles and battery storage. Editor Leslie Weidenbender joined us with more. It's fun to be here yeah. at, amidst all this excitement. And you've been around a bit. What do you think of what they have set up here? I think it's pretty amazing. Yeah. A lot of important people here and then yeah. a lot of others from different places. And there's so many conversations going on. It's been yeah. really interesting to watch. Okay, your annual innovation uh, issue that is chock full of a lot of really interesting stories. Uh, a lot of it focused around energy, which is very timely. Yeah, we when we started planning this a few months ago, we had no idea there'd be the big Stellantis mm -hmm. announcement this week. But we are really focused on different parts of the energy sector. And one of the most important stories we've got is by John Russell. And it's about the importance of energy storage, because mm -hmm. so much of how you are able to store energy, whether it's in batteries mm -hmm. or whether it's through some mechanical means, that determines how you do with solar, how you do with electric cars, all yeah. of those things. Yeah, Battery Innovation Center, I know in Southern Indiana, a big player in that space. The explosion of solar. Uh, we're seeing it everywhere. The largest solar array in the country in Northwest Indiana. That's going to be a big piece of the issue too. The growth in solar. We're talking about wholesale solar mostly. Mm -hmm. The growth in solar here, just amazing. In fact, fourth largest growth in solar in, in, in the country is happening in Indiana. Well, that is interesting. Um, Allison Transmission, old line company, been here, of course, for decades doing new things, especially in innovation with this, this new innovation center. Absolutely. And they're trying to figure out what is going to be their role in the new electric vehicle industry. You right. know, when you make traditional transmissions, you got to figure out what next to do. They're doing some really cutting edge things there to make sure that they are relevant and a huge player in the industry going forward. Okay, before we leave, I got to get this one in. Bugs and farming? Absolutely. This is not part of the energy <laughs> section of the innovation yeah. issue, but uh, the, the IU has a center focused on helping de develop ways mm -hmm. to deal with hunger and insect farming as for both human consumption and animal consumption is one of the big ways. I will have to read that one. That's an interesting one. Leslie Wyden-Benner, as always, great stuff in the IBJ. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Gary. All right. That wraps up this week's Inside Indiana Business television podcast. Remember, you can find all of this week's TV segments, as well as the top business news from throughout the state, at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. While you're there, you can also subscribe to our platform of free e-newsletters. This is Andy Ober for Inside Indiana Business.